0: as they walk through all this. Um, so today we're continuing our series, uh, Ask Anything. If you're new here, we basically ask the students to nominate questions that we can answer as part of a 10-week series, and then we let the students vote on the questions. So I've, I've said it week in, week out. If you don't like the questions, then you only have yourselves to blame, all right? So, um, but the question today is this. It's a good one. How should Christians relate to politics, yeah. all right? Now, um, some people are excited, some are already like moaning and rolling their eyes. Um, now I can remember, I can remember when I was a kid, I, my dad would watch these, the most boring political shows. It was awful. And it was back when we only had four channels and you could like, you had to turn the channel with your hands, you know? And, um, and uh, anyway, so I can recall those days and I, I literally just hated the idea of politics, hated the whole topic. Uh, Because these these old men would sit around in their suits on these shows and just be like, here's what I think, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I don't care what you think, okay? And uh, I want to watch the game. And uh, that's how I thought of politics back then. Now, um, it's often that people say it's rude to talk about two things around a family gathering, like maybe say Thanksgiving. And those two things are probably this, religion and politics. And today we're going to combine both. And we're gonna talk about both. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, Now, many of you guys know, I grew up close to Washington, DC. And so I was raised in an environment, this kind of Christian environment, where uh, politics always seemed at the center of my religious life and just everything about that area. Um, Most people I knew, I mean, there were people that their dad was in Congress, they'd like go to my school and it was interesting. Um so it was just really very closely tied to the whole community that I was a part of and uh and so there's things like this you'll see a picture on the screen kind of a fuzzy photo you can't really tell what that is but um this was in 1990 and I went to this thing called the Rally for Life in Washington DC uh, I think I was in I was 13 or something like that and the see of people I am somewhere in that sea of people um at this rally next picture same thing um just an old photo um I am somewhere in that photo I don't know where but somewhere in that photo and, um, and, and so you can see how when you grew up close to that environment, these political issues or things that get tied into politics uh, are always front and center, and we very much saw it as like our faith is tied into these topics and issues. And in some sense, I think that is partly how it should be, that I'm not sure how we... I don't know how you... People say we need to keep our, our faith and politics separate. I'm not sure how you do that when most any topic or issue can be seen as a political issue, right? Almost anything can be tied to politics in some way. So you'll never, you're never going to hear me or the church endorse a candidate or a party, but we might talk about issues or topics and what we believe the Bible says about those things as it relates to our faith in the Bible. So you will hear that. But you're not going to hear us talk about a candidate or a party when we talk about this topic. Now, sometimes the words politics and government are used interchangeably but I want to show some distinctions between the two because government is the system of rule. So some places are democratic or some places ruled by dictators. Um, We are a constitutional republic. Some might call it a representative republic. And so we don't vote on every single topic or issue, like maybe a true democracy would, but we elect representatives to represent us in houses of legislation or what have you. And then they get to vote on some of those topics and issues um, as they see fit. Now, the word politics comes from this Greek word, which is the word for city, and it's polis. And that was a city-state back then. A citizen was called a politis, meaning a citizen who has responsibilities to a city. And it came, that word came to mean the art of living together in a community. Now, every Christian, I believe, should, should sense this call to be involved as someone who has dual citizenship. We talked about this in 1 Peter a while back in the main service. We said that each Christian is like a resident alien. You live here, but you're not from here. You live here, you have citizenship here, but you also have citizenship in a different kingdom. And this is the sense in which I think every Christian should view themselves and those around them. So, You see yourself as a citizen of God's kingdom, but also a citizen of this one. And you should strive to be a good citizen of the the place we live today. Now, uh, this guy named Plato, you may have heard about him. He was kind of famous. He said this statement, the penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by those worse than themselves. So if you're asking the question, yeah, why should I care about this topic, This makes, I think, a really good point that if you, if people that are, that believe in virtue and values, and we say Christianity, if if we decide to tap out, to check out of the system, so to speak, then what's replacing that? Usually someone that um, maybe is not about those things. So we are called to be involved, but we recognize that every system is broken and tainted with sin. There's a book I read recently, and it's by several writers, and it's called The Ann Campaign. And this is a quote from them. They say, Politics is ugly and imperfect because our world is broken, because we as individuals are broken. Nothing was unaffected by the fall, and politics is no exception. But like it or not, politics touches every aspect of society. How and when we worship what constitutes a crime and what children learn in school are all subject to political decisions. To avoid or dismiss political engagement is to forego an important opportunity to help our neighbors and to promote the righteousness and justice that are the foundation of God's throne. So Christians have this call on our lives to be good citizens who care about the people that are around them. So again, government is the system of rule but today, the word politics is the means through which government leaders are chosen or the way that legislation, of course, is passed. Now, there are some passages in the Bible that, are, that talk about believers and our relationship to government, but we don't really have verses on like the political system that we have today, as it is in our country today, on how those leaders are chosen. But there are verses that talk a lot about how Christians should relate to the governing authorities around them. And one of those passages is Romans chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2 where it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." Now, I know when I read that verse, you think, okay, but what about when it says, for there is no authority except from God, and instantly you think in your mind of, like, evil dictators and totalitarian governments, and you think, well, how in the world does that mean they can just do whatever they want? Does that mean—think about this verse as it relates to even a parent who's maybe living in sin or not doing what they should do as a parent. So are we saying that, listen, I want you to hear from this verse— this does not mean that God gives a stamp of approval on what anybody in authority does with their authority. That's not what it's saying. It's simply saying that the idea of authority, whether it be in government, whether it be with your parents, whether it be with your coaches, your administrators at school, your teachers, that authority, the institution of authority has been given to us and created and set up by God. Now, it is not a statement that every person in authority is virtuous and just and righteous. It's not what it's saying. It's simply saying the institution or the idea of authority was given to us by God. So what does it mean to be subject? Well, it means to be obedient. The general idea is that Christians should be people who, they obey laws, they pay their taxes. Um, Does this mean that we agree with everything? Of course not. Does it mean we obey if government commands us to sin? No, it does not. I think of examples in the Bible of people disobeying governments so that they could obey God. So examples would be in Exodus chapter one, the Hebrew midwives were told by the Egyptian officials to put to death any newborn male in the Hebrew nation, the the nation of Israel. And those midwives followed God and disobeyed what Pharaoh told them to do. I think of Daniel chapter three, where Daniel and his friends did not obey King Nebuchadnezzar's idolatrous commands. And they suffered for that, of course. So here's the principle I want you to understand. We are to submit to governing authorities unless they forbid us from doing what God commands or they command us to do what God forbids. This is why you'll see in many countries in which the church isn't really allowed to gather, my friend Brandon Brewer who's going to go over to Amman, and his family's going to move there. There are laws against Christian things that are in that country that don't exist here. So, is it wrong for Christians to find ways around those laws or find ways to maybe bring in a Bible where a Bible's not allowed? Is that against God's law? No, God's law supersedes man's law. So, we don't follow government whenever government forbids what God commands, but we also don't follow government if they command us to do what God clearly forbids. So I think of uh, you know, again examples might be smuggling Bibles into a place where they're not allowed or they're illegal. Or the church being allowed to church gathering secretly in a place where it's not really allowed by that government or that nation. That would not be a violation of God's commands, of course. Now, some Christians believe that because God has ultimate authority, there is no other authority. That's not really the case. God has set up human institutions as part of his common grace, and so we believe that God is our ultimate authority, but he's not our only authority. God is our ultimate, but he's not our only. He's placed other people in authority that are over us that we need to submit to and be subject to. So people in power, they sin sometimes. They abuse power sometimes. There are, there's such a thing as unjust governments. That is a real thing. But God has established the idea of government. And if you think of, when, when you read the Bible, when these things were written, whether it's Romans or even the, the verse over in 1 Peter where it says, be subject to the governing authorities, you might say to yourself, Well, if if they knew how how bad it is here today, then they wouldn't have written that. But do you really want to compare the governments they were living under back then? Because they were under some of them were under Nero, who would set Christians ablaze when they were still alive to illuminate his gardens at night. So that's that's the kind of person that Peter is saying, be subject to the emperor, to the governor. So we can't really play that game that you know God, even though a, a governor or an emperor is, is evil, there are still, still ways in which we are to submit to the governing authorities. Sometimes even when the authority over us is not a God-fearing authority. So here's the question for you. Why would God ordain human government, but then want Christians to stay out of it? Why would God set up these institutions and then say, but I want God's people to steer clear and not even go and, and be part of it whatsoever. That's, that's not how I think God has, has laid things out for us. There's a lot of biblical evidence and support for believers serving in governmental roles and, and using their influence in a godly way. I think, again, of, of the example of Daniel in Babylon. I think of Joseph influencing Pharaoh and him climbing the ranks, so to speak, or being promoted through the ranks He was second in command in the whole land because of the kind of man, the godly man that he was. I think of Moses in a similar way. The prophet Jeremiah wrote these words to the Jewish exiles who were living in Babylon, in Jeremiah 29, 7, where it says, Seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This idea that as a, as, a, as a believer, as a person of God, you're to care about the city in which you live. Even if aspects of where you live are unjust, then you still do what you can as exiles. They're in Babylon, so there's a lot of injustice going around. But Jeremiah says, no, wherever you find yourself, you, you love the city. You pray for the city. You work for the good of the city because when they do well, you will do well, and you should care for the people that are around you. So in the Bible, we see principles for living under governments, but many of which were not God-fearing or justice-seeking, but we see, we see a lot more in the Bible about how to live when you suffer unjustly than we do about how governments should be set up, right? Right? Because back then, it was like totalitarian. It was That's pretty much all they had back then. But a major, major difference today is that we have a say in who our leaders are. But that wasn't the case back in when the Bible was written. So now we're going to address just two principles this morning on how we can navigate politics today. Then I'm really excited because after we cover these two principles... I'm going to have uh, our, one of our leaders, Matt Murdoch, will come on stage with me, and we're going to do an interview with him because he actually works in politics, okay? So we're going to um, do that here towards the end instead of our group discussions. So the question is, how should Christians relate to politics? Here's the first principle you should know. Here, here's what it is. Christians should speak truth prophetically to those in power. I'll remind you of a story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. There's a story about King David, you might remember it. And there's this woman, what is her name? Bathsheba. I heard one person say it. There's a woman named Bathsheba. And David sees her and he desires her for himself and she's married to this man named Uriah, who's a Hittite, who's a mercenary soldier for David and his army. And David sends for her because Uriah is off at battle fighting on David's behalf. So he, David takes her, and he forces her to commit adultery with him, and then he sends her away. And then she sends him a message saying that she's pregnant with his child, and we know that because her husband Uriah has gone to war. So then David, through a complex series of events, David has this man Uriah killed, and then he steals Bathsheba as his own wife, commits this awful horrific act. He commits adultery, then he commits murder. Awful. Now, here's how the David story gets used today in politics, by Christians sometimes. Well, you know, King David, he committed adultery and murder, but God still called him a man after God's own heart. Therefore, it doesn't matter what fill in the blank this candidate has done in their past or their present. I mean, we all sin, right? That's how the story often gets used. So some use the David story to downplay the importance of personal character in a candidate. But if we're going to use the Bible to make these kinds of political points, then let's use all of it. Because if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see what happens next. Because God sends a prophet named Nathan to King David, And David has no idea that Nathan knows what has happened here. He thinks it's a big secret. And Nathan, being a good prophet, he knows he can't just go into the king's court and just say, hey, you committed adultery and murder. You're in big trouble. Like, he doesn't approach it that way. He decides to go in, and he starts with a story. And this story is is a parable, meaning it's not an actual story that took place, but He's telling it to David as if it is a story that took place in David's kingdom. And so David thinks it's a real story. So Nathan goes into King David's court, and he says, he says, uh, King David, I'm sure he called him that, and he says, he says, hey, there was these two men in your kingdom in a faraway city. There was one rich, so there was one poor. And the rich man had many animals and livestock, but the poor man only had just, just one little lamb. This lamb was like a pet and was like a member of the family. They probably even named it. They, they loved it so much. But then one day this rich man had a guest come to his house, and he wants to prepare, to prepare a feast for his guests. And instead of taking from his own livestock, he goes to the poor man and he steals his lamb as his own, and he prepares it for his guest instead of taking from his own flock. And then here's how David responded to that story. Second Samuel 12, where it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And then Nathan looks at David and says, You are that man. It's the only time in history where the statement, you are the man, was not meant in a positive way, all right? And, and so Nathan calls out David's sin. At this point, David knows he's talking about him. And he knows that the, it's an analogy that he's, he's truly the man who is this wealthy man is everything God would have given him, and yet he goes and steals someone else's wife and puts that man to death. And so now David is convicted. So, Nathan goes on to list David's sins, and a few verses later, Nathan says to David, he says, as a consequence, the sword will never depart from your house, and the child born from this sin is going to die. So, for the rest of David's life, his house was in violent turmoil. So, listen, if if we're going to use the David story and apply it to modern-day politics— then let's use the whole David story. Because we cannot say, you know, David sinned and God still used him, so character in a leader really doesn't matter. Because the David story, I think, serves as a warning to us. Because his personal sin had national consequences. And we see it today, that personal sin in our leaders often carries national consequences. Another example of that in the Bible is Abraham. Do you think that his personal sin that he committed with Hagar, did that have national consequences? It did. And it's still being seen today. So personal sins often carries with it national consequences. We see it especially in our leaders today as well. And here's the good news. That David repented. And as a result of his repentance, he went and he wrote Psalm 51. Go home and read it on your own. It is his repentance psalm after this prophet Nathan had confronted him. So here's the lesson for us. We shouldn't be afraid to call our leaders to repent, especially those who claim to be Christians. So right now in our current political climate, I would ask the question, where are the Nathans? Where are the prophets who stand up for truth and call out people in power who claim to be Christians but show bad character in their leadership? So even when, a even when a Christian leader does rise up and play the role of Nathan in the story and says, hey, what that person's doing isn't right and that's immoral, that shouldn't be done, especially as a person who claims to be a Christian, Christ follower, if a Christian leader does rise up and say something like that, other Christian leaders say, "Hey, hey, you need to be quiet because uh, you're gonna hurt. You're gonna hurt us politically." So, listen, guys. We should be willing to speak the loudest to our own team, quote unquote. I'm not saying which team. I'm saying we're good at shouting at the other team, right? But do we speak truth prophetically to the people that we claim as on our side? We should speak loudest to our own team. The second point is this. Always prioritize gospel witness over political wins. This is similar to the last point, but we should never put political gain before gospel gain. If something is a political gain but a gospel loss, then it's a loss. An example from the New Testament is the story of John the Baptist. I wish I had more time to share this, but it's just—I want to get Matt up here on the stage here in a minute— But the story of John the Baptist, do you recall how his life ended? Because John the Baptist was not afraid to speak truth to this man named King Herod. This is Herod Antipas. And this King Herod, who was over this area that Jerusalem was in, Herod had taken his half-brother's wife as his own wife, even though his half-brother was still alive. So another immoral act by someone in leadership. And listen, Herod did not claim to be a Christ follower by any means. So we can't can't look at it and say, well, you know, we shouldn't speak about morals to this non-Christian because they don't really understand morality. Therefore, we shouldn't speak prophetically to this person. That's not how John the Baptist approached it. He said, hey, you shouldn't have taken your brother-in-law's or your your half-brother's wife. That's immoral. That's wrong. So John the Baptist speaks out against Herod Antipas, and what happens to him? He is thrown in jail, and he's eventually beheaded for it because he wasn't afraid to speak truth to power. And some might even argue, well, you know, I mean, I mean leave Herod alone. I mean, Herod did some nice things for the Jews. If you know the story of, of Israel, I mean, Herod's father, Herod the Great, he's the one who rebuilt the temple for the Jews. I mean, let's not, let's not speak truth prophetically to these leaders because, you know, they do some nice things for us. We don't want to mess that up. But John the Baptist wasn't, he wasn't deterred by that. He, he knew what right and wrong was, and he wasn't afraid to speak that to someone, even if that person was going to chop off his head. And here's the reality. A lot of us as Christians, we're, we're just too afraid to speak that kind of truth to someone in leadership. We're too afraid of what the consequences might be. John the Baptist wasn't afraid of that. He knew he could lose his life for, for speaking truth, And so, in a sense, he prioritized this gospel witness over political gain, and he lost his life for it. So, today, my fear is that we have sacrificed the gospel witness for political gain, and this does not mean that we should not care about politics. In fact, I think it's the opposite. We should be involved in all of it, but our primary purpose in our lives is to preach the gospel. But our political involvement, I still believe, serves as an opportunity for us to love our neighbors well. So one last quote, then Matt will come up on stage. It's better to lose than to sacrifice our virtue for the sake of what is politically expedient to defend leaders' harmful policies or to to condone immorality. It is better to lose that temporal battle if our actions don't glorify God and serve as the salt and the light of the world than they are good for nothing. Okay, so Matt, come on up on stage. I'm going to find a... I guess you can sit on a stool here. We'll make you, make you comfortable up here. Um, what's that? Oh, there's one back here. I'll use that one because I want to sit down too. I'm kind of getting hello, tired. Hello. So I've got some questions from Matt that I wanted to ask him. And then if we have time... You guys can ask questions within reason. We'll see how this goes. Um, so first off, I want you to tell the students just what you have done and are currently doing in the political world.
1: Okay, so my, my political experience goes back about seven years. Um, I was not raised in a politically active house. Uh, my parents are Canadian, so they never voted. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, in 2016, I went up to the... Uh, to Washington, D.C. I worked for the Department of Justice as an Office of Public Affairs, as an intern. Uh, Came back down, worked in the Texas Senate for a while for a state senator, went campaign for a while, jumped back to the Texas Senate, and uh, have kind of been working on everything from uh, statewide campaigns down to state representative campaigns, uh, and I currently work as a communications director in the Texas Senate.
0: So, uh, why did you, pers- you decide to pursue this, at least for the early part of your career? It was a weird up and down. I,
1: you have a mindset when you go into college or when you graduate high school that you're gonna be doing something. Um, for me, that was medicine. Uh, I went two years at Texas A&M, the pre-med route. Thank you for the whoop, whoever did that. Thank you. That was weak, It, it, was, it don't make it better. That's true, but <laughs> anyways, so, um, two years in, uh, I kind of came to a crossroads in my life where I, I didn't really know why I was pursuing medicine. I knew what I wanted to be in medicine, I didn't know why though. Uh, I ended up running, have y'all ever heard of Potbellies, the sandwich shop? Okay, good. Uh, great, great sandwich shop. Um, <laughs> I ran into my OCHEM professor and we had an hour and a half conversation, impromptu, about life, purpose, and where you're being called. So. Um, I felt called towards politics. He said that. He said, drop my class, pursue politics, and that's exactly what I did.
0: So, you've had to navigate this world, like living in this political world, as a Christ follower. I mean, in Washington, D.C., but also in the Austin area as well. So, how difficult has that been for you, to navigate following Christ and doing it in the political world? So there's, there's two
1: ends to the difficulty spectrum. So up in D.C., it's a completely different world. Um, a lot of non-believers, uh, a lot of people that uh, it gives you a good chance to learn how to love them, learn how to be, <laughs> honestly, you feel, you feel like you're a foreign ambassador. Um, I had somebody say, oh, you're a Christian. I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, so like, you like fairies. You believe in fairies and stuff, right? And I was like, No. No, not, not, not fairies, but I heard angels are scary. So, um, <laughs> um, but uh, so D.C. was a, a mission field in and of itself and learning how to love people. Um, I did a lot of sidewalk ministry, not like I didn't stand on the corner and yell at people or throw, or throw the Bible every chance I got, um, but I, I, I would go up to, go up to people, especially uh, people who guard businesses. They stand at the doorways. Um, and I just talked to them about Jesus and invite them to church. Uh, and that's actually where I got my first encounter of what it means to be a Christian. Um, there was one guy I talked to. I said, my name is Matt. I go to this church. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I just want to pray for you if that's possible. And he said, he was like, he pulled a cross out from, from wow, that, that's weird. Okay. Uh, he pulled a cross out from around his neck and he was like, I'm a Christian too. I'm your brother and he starts crying. He, he was about three inches taller than me, so he's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and he was probably 250 pounds, and he just starts bawling. He's like, my son's in jail, my family's falling apart, uh, and I do this on the side to try to make money. Um, but anyways, that, 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 that was one side where I, I, I saw how lonely it can be to be a Christian and how important it is to have a genuine community where it's not culturally convenient. Uh, on the on the state level it's just as hard in a different way um you were talking about people who use politics, who use faith for political expediency and that that is true um i call them push card christians they hand out those push cards they're like uh, i'm christian this and this in that order in that importance and that's why i'm here and you're like i don't want to be judging but I know exactly what you did yesterday, I know how you treat your staff, I know you how you treat our, our officers that, that guard the building, I don't think you are. It, like, I don't think you're living it out. And, and that, that doesn't have a party, that, that, that's just, in, in general, it's, it's really hard to, to be a Christian in, in, in the political realm.
0: So in this room, a lot of people in here can't even vote yet. Who in here is 18? You're already 18. Raise your hand. All right. So they, they can vote technically, um, but a lot of people in this room can't vote yet. So why should they care about politics? So I'm
1: not that smart. I heard this on a podcast this week. Uh, the word culture, uh, its root come, goes down to what it means to worship, Right? Uh, like culture means worship and when we talk about culture war it is a worship war it's a, there's a lot of little idols throughout our culture that that people are are, are feeding into and politics itself um, it's a really messy arena and it's an arena that for some reason I feel like Christians are being pushed away from pushed out um, Really, I think it's like politics and dentists are like the only two, prof- or, and lawyers are the only professions you can make fun of without any repercussions. Um, but uh, I think it's so important to just be involved. Um, you, shouldn't, you should not idolize politics. There's a lot of people that are really mean. I mean, if you're on YouTube, you see it. It's like so-and-so destroys so-and-so in an argument. Like, and I've clicked on so many of those clips. It's, it, it, it's not helpful. It's not good. You're, you're not called to win an argument as a Christian. You're called, called to win hearts. And that's Christ through you. Um, so I think it's important for you, even at, in, in a young age, to be okay that you don't have an opinion on Eastern European politics. Like, it's okay that you, to say, I don't know about this certain area. I don't know where I stand on Medicaid fraud. I don't know where I stand on this policy area. like it's, it's okay, but be curious, be engaged because as Christians get pushed out of this arena, uh, the enemy moves in and, um, it's, it's not, persecution is going to come that, that, that is true. Um, but it's not, it's not one of those things you give up ground, especially when, uh, in America, you're it's a huge blessing God has given you the ability to participate in a, in a government. Um, that hasn't been the truth. Uh, like in, when you when you're talking about the o- Old Testament and the New Testament, it's usually just been whoever's in charge is in charge and so sorry, have fun with that. Um, <laughs> like, but here it's like, you, you wanna elect your school board, you wanna elect state representatives, you wanna elect state senators, you wanna elect governors, lieutenant governors, commissioners, it's all so important and I think last year, 45% of the eligible population voted. Uh, so your vote does matter, your participation does matter. Uh, and especially as the worship war increases, uh, it doesn't seem like our society's worshiping God more. Um, it seems like it's, it's going somewhere else. So I, I think it is more important than ever uh, to be a loving, Christian. Loving in the biblical sense, not, not in the modern culture sense, but loving uh God-fearing person in politics. I, I think it's important. And you, and you can participate at any level. You can knock doors to uh, answering phone calls and stuff like that.
0: So, well, I, I didn't tell you about this question, but I was going to ask it. I just thought of it just now, so hope you're ready for it. Um, what would you say to someone who says... You know, we should not let our faith impact our politics because what right is it of mine to impose my faith on someone else? How would you respond to that question?
1: C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said that um, he believes in, in Christ the way he believes in the sun rising. Not only that he sees the sun rising, but that is how he sees everything else around him, right? Um, that when, when, when you're, it is not my job to impose my faith upon other people, and, and that's not the authoritarian call of, of, of God. Like it, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, when someone tells me um, well, separation of church and state, I'm like, well, that's for the church's sake, yes. Like, I, I really do think there are two Gs in your life, government and God, and you gotta choose which one to capitalize and which one to lowercase. Uh, one really wants to be uppercase, um, the other uh, has always been uppercase. But I would just say, my, my God, Christ, calls me to be a selfless servant, to serve the poor, to serve the needy, to love and compassionately love everybody around me, regardless if I like you or not. If, if you have an R by your name or a D by your name, if you're... Um, if you're mean to me, I, I'm, I'm still going to have to be loving to you. That's kind of the catch-22. Um, I can't separate that. Um, and and when we pass laws that have that... The, the media is not always the most impartial. Uh, I, I deal with the media a lot, and they, they, call, they call me and be like, what about this so-and-so bill? And I was like, I don't think we have this really negative word you just used in, in any of our bills, um, but when, it, when it's being pitched to you that this is being imposed, well, no, it, it's, it's the way we, we have representatives in our state legislature for a reason. Um, they believe that whoever voted to put them there, uh, this is what they would want. And right now, majority does still rule um, and it's not it's not through a smiling eye or like that you want to impose anything. It's it's what what is right and what is wrong. And if if you don't stand for what is right, I mean, wrong is just going to win.
0: Yeah, one thing I'll add to that too, that was really helpful. I love that statement of uh, you have two G's in your life. Which one is capital for you? I love that statement. Um, but something that he just touched on, even if someone believes in just secular humanism as, somewhat, as some might define it there are still values that they're holding to that they believe and i would say they believe them in faith and so they're still often lobbying for those same va- some some values that they hold in faith in the same way that you as a christian might hold certain values in faith so faith is kind of always at the center of that as he ta- called it the worship wars um as he talked about it so um Let's see, uh, we may have time for a question or two. I mean, this is frightening to add, let you guys ask questions. Um, should we do this? Should we let a question or two, should we allow that? Um, I saw a hand at the back first, so we'll let Luke ask a question. And we'll repeat it so we can have it on the podcast. Oh, no, we're not doing that question. So that, that kind of question I'm going to call, no, we're not doing that question. So those kinds of questions, we're not going to deal with that question. So any other kinds of questions? Uh, I'm not sure that question won't work either. I apologize. Yes. Advocate it for what? Say it again. Okay, good question. So she asked the question, in what ways have you advocated for truth in the state of Texas?
1: Truth in the biblical sense, um, which is the only sense. Um, (laughs) uh, So it's been hard. Uh, So one of the the biggest ways... um, through a few bills, and I, I can I can dive deeper into what bills I've actually worked on, um, but I I do wholeheartedly believe in the in the sacredness of life from womb to tomb from conception to natural death. Um, I've worked on bills where uh, I get called <laughs> everything but a child of God, and, and and that that's okay. That's okay. Like I they I've uh, my office has had. Some very like we've had death threats put out against us. We've had our names circulated on lists, uh, which is exciting because I'm like the worst. Worst comes to worst, I get to see God, and I'll try to put in a good word for you. So um, (laughs) it's not it's not not the worst not the worst situation. Uh, But but anyways, um, and and this is actually an important note is that uh, I'm I'm blessed for the guy I work for. Uh, He is a believer. Um, and I'm not here to advocate for them, but it's for certain pieces of legislation where you're advocating for truth, where you're adv- advocating for something that will impact a lot of people. Um, we, we do pray over the bills. Like I've been in back halls with some of the upper tier people, not upper tier. There's no, there's no class system They they're just highly elected officials and they're on their knees praying together that a bill going to pass. And that it, not just that the bill is going to pass, that's not really the goal, but God's will be done, whether it passes or fails, that his will be done. So it, it, I'm, I'm more than happy to jump into deeper stuff later. But, yeah.
0: Let's go. I saw one over, somebody over here. I thought maybe not. Yeah. All right. Listen, guys, um, I'm going to wrap it up. So here's what I want to do is uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Matt and also pray for people that he works with. And, uh, I know it's really easy for you to be cynical and jaded as many of us are by this process, but remember, uh, the authorities that God has, has set up, those have been instituted by God himself. And, uh, at the same time as broken and and tainted with sin as they are, um, every aspect of society, it's not like if you leave politics that you're entering into heavenly bliss, wherever you end up in your career field, right? Right. So, you're going to deal with what he's talking about in whatever career you choose. Um, but uh, let's pray for, uh, for Matt and also just for those that, uh, that serve in that a similar way. God, thank you for uh, Matt being a servant, not just here with these students, but also just in, in the way that he serves um, within the governmental system, God. We thank you for the way that he serves there. We know it's a, hard, a difficult place for Christians to be. And we pray that um, you'd strengthen him and all those that are uh, around him and in uh, the office that he works in, we know that, um, that so often things can seem tedious, things can seem petty, things can, uh, we can get cynical and jaded by the process, but I pray that you would just continue to just reveal ways in which you're working, and uh, we pray that you would just continue to, to sanctify them as they continue to work um, for what they feel called to do, as they uh, challenge all of us to be good citizens um, to the place that you've called us to live in. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's thank Matt for being up here, guys. We appreciate it. All right, guys. We are finished. You guys can head out. And I think there's a Mission G meeting just after this. So thank you.